to be here with you today. I'm actually from Columbus, Ohio. Been with, the, uh, been here in um, Colorado the last week. What I do, just to introduce myself, I speak on campuses around the United States outdoors. We erect these uh, large banners that are about that are about the Christian message, about the existence of God, or about the uh, uniqueness of Jesus Christ, or about what the Bible's all about. A lot of people have questions about those things, and, and we give answers, and we spend the day answering questions, and talking to people, sometimes large crowd gathers, sometimes not, but um, it's always a good and fruitful day. And I go to the campus because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good place to go, people are supposed to be asking questions, they're supposed to be figuring out who they are in life, what, you know, what life is about, they're supposed to be figuring out their worldview, and, um, and lots of times... Christ just isn't a part of it. You know what I mean? You know, he's been left out and we've become secularized. And as a result, there's a lot of questions people ask. And that's kind of what I do during the day, is I just answer questions. And believe me, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. I know a lot of us, we get scared about questions because we're, we don't want to look dumb. And we're afraid that some intellectual is going to run circles around us to ask us some question we don't know the answer to. And we won't be a good witness. And we won't, uh, we, 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 you know, we'll look stupid. And so it's just, you know, just better, you know, like who was it Lincoln said, I'd rather keep my mouth shut and be thought a fool than open my mouth and remove all doubt. And so, uh, and so we just keep quiet. We just keep quiet and we don't share our faith. Today I'd like to take some time, if I could, and, and answer five of the questions that I get asked a lot on campus. Now, you might be turning me off already because you say you've read my book, Five Crucial Questions About Christianity. And if so, thank you. I'm glad you did. But uh, understand something else. These are five completely different questions. And maybe volume two will be coming out someday. The five completely different questions that I get asked a lot on campus. Now, you realize when people ask questions, sometimes they ask because they're interested in an answer, and sometimes they ask because they want an argument. And some of the questions that I'm about to talk about are people who just want to argue, and there's a question or a statement or a presupposition behind the question. And so what we're going to look at, if we have time, five questions What's the question behind the question, or the statement, the idea behind the question, and then how would I answer it? And understand, Jesus didn't always answer the question he has asked, did he? Sometimes, you know, you, you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, they ask some question, he's talking about something completely different. Because he kept control of the conversation. He took it where he wanted it to go, not where his opponents wanted it to go. So uh, this is what we'd like to talk about. Let's, let's pray quickly and we'll jump into Sunday's. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We ask you to bless this time. Help us to gain insight and wisdom and understanding that we might better understand our own belief, better understand what we as Christians embrace, and also be able to communicate it to others. We pray for this. We thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Questions. You know, the first question I often get asked, it goes like this. I can be standing up there talking about God and the Bible and how Christ died for us 
and, um, and, and on and on, you know, all this type of stuff. And someone will have their hand up and have their hand up and waving their hand. Finally, I'll say, yeah, what's your question? They'll say, Tom, uh, how old do you think the earth is? How old do you think the earth is? And I'm thinking, what in the world does this have to do with, you know, I'm talking about how Jesus died. Tom, how do you think old the earth is? You ever had that question posed to you? Yeah, I get asked pretty regularly, how old do you think the earth is? Now, what's the question, or what's the assumption, or what's the point this person's trying to make behind that question? This is, by the way, discussion time. You can answer that question. I want you to tell me. When a person asks you that question, they ask me that question, what are they saying with their question? They're trying to decide whether they should write you off or not. They're trying to, are they going to write me off or not? Why would they write me off? Well, if you believe the earth is fairly young, maybe they think they can't trust anything. They're not going to trust, why? Why couldn't they trust anything if I believe in a young earth? Because of science. So they're saying if you, if you, don't, if, if you don't believe like they believe in science, you're wrong, you're crazy, you're ignorant, dumb, uneducated, you got blind faith, you're going to believe in some book no matter what it says, and no matter all, all the scientific evidence in the world could say differently, but you've got your, your nose so hidden in this book that you can't think anything else but that. And that's it, you don't think yourself, you have blind faith. That's the accusation there, right? Or that's the idea. How do you answer that? I usually avoid any discussion on the age of the earth. I usually say this. You know, there's good Christians. Christians who are smarter than me and Christians who are probably better Christians than me on both sides of this topic. And so it doesn't have to be an issue. But there is a big issue. And that is, do you think the world got here by chance or by design? That's the question. That's the question. Christians amongst ourselves, we might debate the age of the earth, and maybe and we should have those discussions, but not with a non-Christian, not with an unbeliever, not with someone who, who, who's, who doesn't even acknowledge the existence of God yet. The question for them is, did it all get here by chance, or is there design? And, I, and I, um, I, I, I've got to say there's compelling reason to believe that, that our world has been designed, and if it has been designed, if there's order, if there's uh, um, a purpose to it, then there's got to be an intelligent mind behind it, and we call that God. Do we not? We call that God. This is the, you know, I, I run into people, I was just up at CSU on Friday, and there were these science students out there telling me they see no order or design in the world. I ask him, I say, you go walk into a chemistry class and you see that periodic table up on the wall and you think that's random or do you see order? I mean, the, the same equations work every time. I know, in chemistry, they, I didn't always get the same answers, but I know the right answers were there, you know. <laughs> and, and how about mathematics? The laws of mathematics, they're not random. Two plus two is four all the time. It's not seven or nine or three, you know, depending on, on the weather forecast. It's always the same. The laws of physics, they always work. The, 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 the laws of biology, of genetics, everywhere you look, it's not just some random thing. There, there are laws that govern. That's why you go study the stuff. If it was all random, it would be a waste of time to study it. Because who knows if tomorrow would be different. 
But it's all the same. It's all working. We, we can understand science. There's compelling evidence of design wherever you look. I often ask the person that, that, that says it's a proof of God, I say, well, you know, you got five seconds. Why don't you give me proof that there's an author? Somewhere in the world there's an author. And usually if they're a grad student, they scratch their head, they can't figure it out, but the freshmen get it. And they say, well, you got books. That's right. You can't have a book without an author. You can't have a building without a builder. You can't have a watch without a watchmaker. You can't have glasses without an optometrist. You can't have a shoestring without a shoestring maker. Wherever you go, it doesn't matter. Design and function and purpose compel us to believe there's a God. And science has done nothing to dispel that. Science is the, the study of cause and effect relationships. If you do this, this is the result you get. And yet somehow, people say, I believe in science, and it proves there is no God. That, the, that, that there was no ultimate cause to everything. That somehow nobody plus nothing equals everything. And I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Design speaks of a designer. And we have one of our banners. I said we put up these banners. You can see them, by the way, online if you go to my website. So I'll tell you later if I forget. Remind me. You know, if you want proof of God, one of our banners says, if you want proof of God, just look in a mirror. It's you. Do you realize how well designed you are? You, do you realize how incredibly designed you are? Um, I, I could go on like for the next hour on facts about you. Let me give you a couple. When you were born, you know, whenever that was, or if you, if you have a child and you look at that little, I became a grandpa for the fourth time about a week and a half ago. And when you look at that little newborn baby, nine months ago, didn't even exist, then the sperm and an egg got together and start a baby. And when that baby is born, it has a circulatory system that is developed as part of the DNA instruction manual that, that we're in that sperm and egg. The DNA instruction manual created a, uh, a, a circulatory system, a brain, organs, different organs. Different, it, you gave it eyebrows, gave it fingernails, gave it fingers, gave it, you know, on and on. We talked for a minute about the circulatory system. Do you know... You know what they've discovered? I mean, we're, we're, we're just growing by leaps and bounds in our ability to discover scientific information. Information about the world God made. Do you know how long, if you could stretch out the circulatory system of a newborn baby, how long it would be? Now just stop and think. You've all seen newborn babies, or heard of them at least. You know? Um, and... If you were to take all their circulatory system and stretch it out, take a guess. If you heard me preach on this the other night, don't say. But take a guess. How long do you think it'd be? A hundred miles? A hundred miles? Well, you're way low. You're way low. A hundred miles of circulatory in a newborn baby. That's way low. Anyone else want to take a guess? 2,000? You're way low. 60,000 miles, they tell us, are in that little baby. 
The whole United States interstate system is 48,000 miles long. And that little baby. And, and what, what an amazing chance accent that is to develop that within that baby, right? No! What a miracle design of a God. And a God who caused that circulatory system to develop in such a way that the heart pounds just at the right pressure through. So if it's too much, they'd explode and have a stroke. If it's too little, they'd die. And gives them a, a, a brain that, that regulates it. And a brain that works better and processes more information than any computer we've ever had. Your brain right now is between now and now. There's no computer on earth that could process as much information as you just processed. But the light, the sound, the, 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 the regulating your whole, the, your thermostat, your blood pressure, your, all this stuff. You are an amazing, an amazing thing. And you are not an accident. Everywhere you look, you see the design of Almighty God has created you a tremendous, tremendous miracle. Well, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. Because I'm going to get to the second question. The second question is more controversial. So bear with me and I hope that you don't think, ah, because the second question people ask me, Tom, is what do you think of gay marriage? What do you think of gay marriage? It's like the most common thing I get asked. Sometimes I wonder, is everyone on campus gay? It's like everybody's asking this question. And, and what's the question behind the question? Or what's, what are they getting at behind the question when they ask me? And, and by the way, they know what I'm going to say, don't they? They're not going to, they, they know my answer. So when a person asks me this, what are they trying to say in asking me what I think, I'm a Christian, about gay marriage? What are they trying to say? I'm hateful. I'm judgmental. I want to argue. I'm a, I discriminate. I'm a bigot. Yeah, these, these are the things behind it, that, that if, you, if you're not, you know, you don't want these people to find love and compassion, you hate them, you're a bigot, you, if, you, if someone disagrees with you or isn't just like you, you want them to be miserable and you hate them. That's the accusation, that's the, that's the unspoken statement behind the question. How do you answer that question? Well, I think as Christians we have to have good understanding and we, we do need to know the, 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 the biblical and the sociological and the psychological of, you know, these are all things I've studied quite a bit. But my answer isn't just to go into the subject of, of what the Bible teaches and so on. Before I have a question, before I answer, I have a question. That's this. Who determines what's right and what's wrong? Who determines it? Does society determine it? A lot of people believe that is, that, that, that all morals are culturally based. That's what young people are being taught today, that cultures determine what's the, culture is the ultimate authority, moral authority. Others, you know, they kind of a sub-thing of culture, they determine what's right and wrong because, you know, this movie stars for it or against it or, or this singer sang a song about it or my professor said something in the classroom or I know someone who's involved in this or whatever else. If it's a law, it's okay. They make their decisions based on what my parents taught me and I never thought about it again. There's all kinds of basis, ways that people make their moral decisions. 
And I like to suggest that it's not up to culture or you or me to make moral decisions of what is right and wrong. It's up to you and I to discover the moral laws that God Almighty has created in His universe. You know, like, I, I didn't decide whether or not to believe in gravity. You know? And, and it's there, whether I believe in it or not. It's a, it's a law of, 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 of the world God made. And if we had a campaign that we didn't like gravity, let's get rid of it. And we even got, you know, we, we developed a lobby and we had a vote and we got a majority vote that says we will do away with gravity. It doesn't change the law, does it? The law of gravity. And if you violate it, sooner or later, it's going to get you. We don't decide the laws of mathematics. We don't decide the laws of science. We don't decide, we don't decide the moral laws. We discover the laws of mathematics. We discover the laws of science. And dare I say, we discover the moral laws by which God has created this universe and made people to live. There's a big difference. We don't decide what they are. We discover what they are. And sure enough, in, in, um, uh, God, God is the giver of morality. Now how does God give, figure out what's moral and not? Is it arbitrary? Like does God take a coin and say, you know, heads don't steal, tails you can steal. Heads, okay, humans don't steal from one another. You know, heads heterosexual, tails homosexual. I want you all to be heterosexual. You know? Uh, heads lie, tails don't. No lying. Is it arbitrary? Is it the flip of a coin? No. You know where the moral laws of God come from? They come from His character. His nature. Who He is. They come from the reality we're not to lie because God doesn't lie. He tells the truth. We're not to steal because God doesn't steal. He's generous. He gives. We're not to, we're not to uh, murder because God doesn't murder. We're, we're, we're to, we're, uh, the moral standards by which we live are to be a reflection of the God who created us. We are made in His image. And when we sin, you know the verse. Do you know what it means? The verse says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's that mean? It means that you were designed, you were created to reflect the glory of God. You're made in His image. You're to show forth the glory of God in the way you live your life, in the, in the, in the standards you hold to, the, the way you treat other people. You're to be like God. And whenever you sin, you fall short of the glory of God. You don't reflect what God made you to be. You, you fail in that. And that's why God is he's making us to be like himself. What an awesome thing that is. And so we don't come up with our own morality. We don't create our own morality. We don't decide what's right or wrong. There's a higher authority than us. That authority is God. And when we discover his, authority, his moral standards and live by them, we bring out the best of our humanity. We bring out the best of who we're created to be. And when we sin, we fall short, and we're failing to live up to the, to the 
best of who God Almighty made us to be. Isn't that cool? So the question isn't really what do I think about gay marriage or any other hot button issue of our day. The question is who decides what's right? You? Hollywood? The government? Or God? And how does he do it? It's not arbitrary. He wants us to be like him. What a cool thing that is. Amen? Amen. That's where I take that discussion. Well, that leads to the third question. I'm going to... Third question I'd say is this. Third question I'm going to ask. Tom, how can an all-powerful and all-loving God allow suffering in the world? How can an all-powerful and all-loving God allow suffering and evil in the world? And... Um, What's the question behind that question? What's the opposite? What's the idea behind that question? Who knows? God doesn't care. Yeah, God doesn't care. And uh, and 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 uh, even a step further, He might not even be there. But yeah, God doesn't care. If God cared, He'd stop it. I get asked the question, Tom: If you saw some starving kid by the side of the road, would you? Or you saw you know, wherever you saw him, and wherever, you know, would you feed him? Said, yeah. He said, well, then you're more compassionate than God. You care more than God. Because I'll look at all the people God lets die. And so I hear this idea. And, and it can even go a step further. Not only does God not care, but is God even there? You know, there's a professor who... Um, come into the university, come into his class in philosophy, and he'd write up on the board three statements... Number one, God is all loving. Number two, God is all powerful. Number three, there's suffering and evil in the world. And he tells the students that they can, that any two of those statements can be true, but not all three. So the student scratches his head. And he says, well, okay, I know number three is true. I know there's all kinds of, of suffering in the world. And why can't the others be true? And he says, well, either, the professor says, either God doesn't, if he's all powerful, then he'd stop it. So he mustn't be all loving, because if he, if he could, he would stop it. Or maybe he's all loving, but he just doesn't have the power to stop it. And so then the guy scratches, the student scratches his head, and says, maybe there's not even God at all. Maybe the, maybe, maybe the problem of evil in our world says there's not even a God at all. Now, if I were, how, how would I answer that question? If I were in, sitting in the class, I'd say to the professor, raise my hand, because I'm always respectful, and I'd say, Professor, can I, if, if I can add one more statement to your three statements here, then all four of them can be true. If you limit it to those three, only you're right, only two of them can be true. But if we add one more then all four can be true. What do you think that statement might be? Yeah. That God gave us free will. God gave us the capacity to make choices. But he never said, if you make the wrong choice, I'm going to remove the consequences. That's, what, that's the real issue. Let me explain free will. I, you know, I, I was at Ohio State, my home campus, and this guy said to me, he said, Tom, yeah, what a great God. I mean, he gives us free will, and then he sends us to hell for using it. 
you know, and 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 that was his idea that you know, and and that's he's got a misconception of what free will is. Free will does not mean God says, "Hey, humans, do whatever you want. I don't care." Free will is more like this. God says, "This is the right way. I want you to go this way, and if you do, there's a reward." This is the wrong way. I don't want you to go this way. And if you do, there's a consequence. Now, decide which way you want to go. Do you want to go this way and have the consequence? Do you want to go this way and have the reward? Decide which way you want it. That's what free will means. And so God... Um, God has given us free will, but He doesn't remove the consequences of us misusing that free will. So, when we talk about all the suffering in the world, what do we want a person to realize? It's not God's fault. It's whose fault? It might be ours. It might be someone else's. It might be Adam's. Go back way back to Adam. What do I mean ours? There's three types of ways you suffer. Sometimes I suffer because I make dumb decisions. And I've made some dumb ones and I've suffered for them. But you have too, because you're a human being. Right? Sometimes we just make dumb decisions. We make poor choices and we suffer for them. Sometimes someone around us makes a poor decision and we suffer for it. You might be struck by a driver who made a poor decision and, and you're the one that's injured. You might be robbed or beaten or assaulted by someone else who disobeyed God and you were the victim of it. But, but again, someone in our world, someone in your world made a wrong choice and it affected you. It doesn't mean you're guilty for what they did, but it means the consequence came upon you as well. And likewise, sometimes it goes right back to Adam. And the truth is, we all will die. Why? Because sin entered the world through that very first man, Adam. And now all the descendants of Adam will all suffer. Some earlier than others. We'll all die. Some earlier than others. And death is never pleasant. It's never easy. We all suffer. We all die. We'll all get sick. We'll all experience calamity somewhere in our life. Either because we're just part of the human race. Or because someone close to us hurt us. Or because we made a poor choice ourselves. Is that that Snoopy mug? No, no just checking. Okay. Just checking. Anyway, and so in life, what, what, do we, what do we want a person to understand? God does care. But he won't take away our free will. Now, this is really important. I have students say to me all the time, I wish God would just take away our free will. I mean, this world really stinks. I've really suffered. I've had a lot of pain. Why would God, knowing that we would sin and bring all this pain into the world and all this suffering, why didn't God just make it so we didn't have a free will? And what I'm about to say, I, I don't know if I've hardly ever heard anyone else ever say, which always makes me a little nervous because it makes me want to make sure I'm right. You know? But I think this is a very, very important point. There's something more important to God than that you be perfect. There's something more important to God than that you never make a mistake and that you never suffer and you never sin. There's something more important to God than all of that. 
Most people think the most important thing to God is that I just walk the straight and narrow and never do anything wrong. I'm going to argue there's something more important to God than that you walk the straight and narrow and never do anything wrong. What is that? Pardon me? You love Him. That's it. You love Him. You love Him. You love Him. God gave us free will because without free will you could never love God. Without a free will, you're, you're nothing but a robot. If you, for, for you to have the capacity to say yes to God and to mean it, you had to have the capacity to say no to God. It's kind of like when I proposed to Roz 37 years ago. She had to have the capacity to say no or her yes would have meant nothing. And by the way, I know she did because first time I asked, that's what she said. But imagine, imagine if instead I would have just drugged her. You know, fear that she might say no. And I put a drug in her drink, the yes drug. And I take her out to dinner and she's drinking, you know, and I say, um, I ask her some questions, you know, like, honey, uh, are you having a good day? Yes. Um, and, you know, it's in August. I said, isn't the snow outside beautiful today? Yes. I know now the drug is working. Will you marry me? Yes. Let's do it now. Yes. You know, and, and uh, but does, did she love me? She was drugged. She'd lost any capacity to make her own decision. And God gives us this capacity of the choice because more... Now, now, don't take this the wrong way. It's important to God that you walk rightly. It's important to God that you overcome sin. These are important things. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But what matters most is that you do it with the right heart and the right motive. And you do it because you love God. And you have this relationship. He, you, you receive His love for you and you love Him back. That's got to matter. And God is willing to put up with all the suffering and calamity and hardship that you and I and the world have experienced because it must really be important to Him that people love Him and that they, they receive His love and they love Him back. That must really, really matter. And so, this is what we have. We're not, we're not robots. We're not hired servants. We are in a love relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright, fourth question that I get. People say to me, Tom, what makes you think your religion's any better than anyone else's? What makes you think your religion's any better than anyone else's? And what's the, what is, what's the question or the accusation or the statement behind that question that they're getting at? Pardon me? It's okay to believe in anything. Okay, yeah. And it, all, you, all you have to do is have some faith. Doesn't matter what's the object of your faith, as long as you believe something. Okay, that's good. What else? They're questioning my relationship. They're questioning my relationship. How so? Yeah, yeah. But so they're okay. Okay, yeah, I'm going to get to that in just one second. Actually, that's relating to my answer. Uh, the, but intolerance is right. What is truth? Uh, are, are, like, are you able to see, are you able to respect anyone else's point of view? 
Do you think that your way is the only way? You, you think everybody's going to hell except you, right? You think we're all wrong except you're the only one right, right? That's what you think. And you're arrogant. You're incapable of respecting other people's points of view, even other people's religion. And how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that question? I think we've got to know where most people come from. In our culture today, most people view religion like they would food. I don't mean to make you hungry, but let me explain this. Say we have a continuum of... Uh, I'm gonna, over here is one thing, and over here is... This is a different side. So over here, I'm, I've got some questions for you. Which is better, chocolate or vanilla? Uh, well, let me which is which is better, Mexican or Italian? I'm only getting a few answers here. Which is better, red or green? Green, okay. Now, how about if I were to ask this question, which is right, chocolate or vanilla? Now, most people who are vanilla lovers would sit here and feel judged by you, feel that you have no right to tell me chocolate is better than vanilla. Who do you think you are? You're, you're, you can't respect my love of vanilla? Or if you think Mexican is the answer and I happen to like pizza, and you tell me Mexican tacos are right and pizza's wrong, I'd scratch my head and say, who do you think you are? You're so arrogant. You can't respect anyone else's point of view. Or you like your red shirt and I like my green shirt and you tell me my green shirt is wrong. You know? And so over here, most people think religion is like that. But how about we go over here? And let's talk about some claims now. 2 plus 2 is 7. Right or wrong? Wrong? Are you ju you're so judgmental? You're telling me it's wrong? I believe it. It's right for me. 2 plus 2, that's what I believe. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? See, that sounds bizarre, doesn't it? To, to be over here, you have the right to tell me I'm wrong, and no one is upset if, if, if I say 2 plus 2 is 7, that's wrong. If I say 2 H's and an O makes cement, and you say wrong, you, you know, I'm not going to feel judged. And the professor can mark me wrong if I say you're judging me, this is what I feel, he's, he'd, he'd probably kick me out of the class. But if over here, we're talking about Mexican, Italian, vanilla, strawberry, or whatever, there isn't a right or wrong. Over here, there is. There's a right answer and a wrong answer. Over here, there is no right answer and there's no... This is opinion. This is taste. This is difference from one person to another. There's no right or wrong. But over here in mathematics or science or history, there's a right and there's a wrong. There's a true answer and there's false answers. Where does religion fit in? I'm going to argue that whereas most people think religion is just a matter of opinion, you choose the one you like that fits you best, that religion is over here as either being true or false. Because when I look at mathematics or science or history, there is a higher truth to which I must submit. Right? I can't make up my own mathematical laws. There are higher laws that I must submit to. I can't make up the laws of chemistry. There are higher laws that already exist. I must discover them and submit to them. Not the case with strawberry and chocolate or vanilla or whatever it is. 
I can, just, I can like whatever. I, I can create my own flavor if I want. And if I like it, that's fine. The first thing you got to help a person understand is religion is not a matter of opinion. It's based on truth. There are higher laws. There are higher truths. Religion, many people think it's just a matter of, you know, how, how to be nice to one another. And if being a Christian helps you be nice to one another, or being a Hindu helps you be nice to one another, or being a Muslim helps you be nice to one another, that's all that matters. But I'm going to argue the, the purpose of religion is to get back to God. Religion's not about how to treat your fellow man, although that's involved. But the ultimate purpose of religion gets with God. Not with one another, but with God. And if I'm going to look to God, I've got to ask, has God made a way for me to get back to Him? Has God given us truths that are unique? That, things that are true that I must submit to? I'm going to argue, as you, you said over here, what makes Christianity better than another religion is that it's true. That's what makes it better. It's true. And it's based on the truths of Jesus Christ. I'll give, you, I'll give you a handful of them right off the top of my head. But make Jesus Christ really unique from anyone else. He claimed to be, the, he claimed to be God come in the flesh. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet. Buddha claimed to be enlightened. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Muhammad said, follow Allah. Buddha said, follow the light within. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus performed mighty miracles to validate his claims. He healed the sick, the lame, the, the, the deaf, the dumb, the blind, fed thousands with a couple loaves and fish, calmed the storm, raised the dead. How many miracles did Muhammad perform? Zero. How many miracles did Buddha perform? Zero. How many miracles did Jesus perform? They couldn't count them all. How many he did? Jesus lived a sinless life. He's the only man ever sinned. Even the Quran acknowledges Jesus never sinned. But Muhammad sure did. Muhammad had people killed so he could get their wife. Muhammad was a warrior. Not that strong in fighting a battle, but he was a warrior. And there were a lot, and in the 52 battles he fought, there were a lot of innocent people got killed for, for no good reason. All these other people, every, every one of them, I don't want to put them down or desecrate them or whatever, but everyone who's ever lived has something in common. They've all sinned, except for Jesus Christ. Jesus is unique in that he died for our sins. Muhammad, they conquered some village and they let, they let some of the women live and one of the women was angry at him so she fixed a meal for him and she put poison in it and he ate it and he died. That's how he died. Christian was killed in a hunting accident. He was taking a nap behind a bush and someone thought an animal took an arrow and shot and it happened to kill him. Buddha just got old and died. He's 80 some years old. Jesus, 33, died on the cross for our sins voluntarily. No one took his life away. He gave it as a sacrifice for us. And then, of course, the biggie, he rose from the dead. That's what really makes him unique. Everybody else's tomb is empty, or is occupied, unless they were cremated. They're all occupied. Everyone, all these other people, Jesus' tomb was empty. That's the reality. He lived, he died, he was buried. Three days later, his tomb was empty. Over the next 40 days, he was seen by hundreds of people. They went out and told the world about it, even though they got ruthlessly persecuted. And not a single one of them, even on the threat of prison, or beating, or death, 
ever went back on saying, I was an eyewitness of a historical event. I saw the resurrected Jesus, Jesus Christ. I touched him. I ate with him. I put my very finger in the nail hole where he'd been nailed to the cross. He is risen. And I'm not going to stop saying it even if you kill me. That's what makes Jesus unique. He fulfilled prophecy. Do you know there's no other person ever lived who fulfilled prophecy, whose life was prophesied except Jesus. With one exception, John the Baptist, because he was, came to pour on Jesus. Jesus is unique. Some awesome. What makes, would you ask what makes our religion better? It's Jesus because it's the truth of who he is. Our religion is more than a morality. Our religion is more than a philosophy. It is a person. Jesus makes our religion better because of the true evidences he had that he was truly from God. But none of these others were able to provide. Final question is this. Well then what about those who have never heard about Jesus? If Jesus is the only way to heaven, what about those who have never heard? Are they going to go to hell? And what's the accusation behind this question, or the presupposition, or the idea behind this question? It's what? God's. He's not loving. He's not fair. He doesn't love these people, and he's not fair. He doesn't treat people fairly. I mean, I mean, come on. You got, you know, someone says, Tom, you got some good Buddhist, and he's never hurt anybody in his life. And that's all he's been taught. And he does it as best he can. And you're going to tell me he's going to go to hell just because he believes something different than you believe? Or just because he doesn't believe in Jesus, God's going to send him to eternal torture because of that? That sure doesn't sound fair. How do you answer this question? In Revelation chapter 20, as a matter of fact, I realize, um, go ahead and turn there if you want. Revelation chapter 20. And I'll start reading in verse 11. And this is the judgment at the end of time. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, 20 verse 11, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life... He was thrown into the lake of fire. Um, here's how I envision what, what, what's being said here. That every person on Judgment Day will stand before Almighty God. The first book to be opened is called the Book of Life. If your name is in the Book of Life, you go to heaven. Okay? If your name is not in the Book of Life, God will judge you based on the way you lived your life. He'll judge you based on your deeds. I'm sure that would include everything you've ever said, anything you've ever done, motives, etc. Um, I find most people think that's fair. That if my name is in the book of life, we go to we might go to heaven. If not, God will judge you based on the end of your life. And so I I say, if that guy, that Buddhist over there, 
really, really is as good as this person thinks he is. He, he really never hurt anyone in his entire life. He really never had a selfish, greedy, or lustful thought in his life. He never said a single word to hurt or damage another person. He, he was, every single thing he ever did was perfectly good. He just had never heard of Jesus. I don't think he's going to have a problem on Judgment Day. On the other hand, I also don't think such a person exists. Do you? Because the Bible says we've all sinned. And so the, 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 the quick answer I give to this is Jesus came to save sinners. And if you come to Jesus, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your lostness, He can save you. If you don't, whether it's because you've never heard of Jesus or because you did hear and just decided I'm going to reject Him, now God will judge you based on your deeds. My advice, don't have confidence your deeds will save you. Don't think you're good enough because when we see God's standards, we find all of us in thought, word, and deed have sinned a whole lot more than we realize. All fall short. All have sinned. All of us have failed. We might think otherwise, but on the judgment day, we'll discover we're not as good as we thought we were. Why is Christ the only way to heaven? Ultimately then, if, as we understand that, this... And I love this question when a person asks me because it leads right into what I want to tell them. When they say, do you think Jesus is the only way to heaven? I, I say, the person who's never heard will be judged based on the way they live their life. But for you and me, why is he the only way? You've heard. Why is he the only way? Answer, because he's the only one who solves the problem. He's the only one who solves the problem. If, if you think your problem is you need someone to tell you how to live and give you laws to live by, become a Muslim. They got all kinds of laws. They tell you what you can drink, what you can eat. They tell you which foot that when you walk in a room, which foot's supposed to be the foot, first foot you walk in the room with if you want to be a godly person. If you want laws, if you think that's what you need, more restrictions and more laws, become a Muslim. If you think your problem is you're too stressed out, you know, and you just have no peace, just meditate or something. If you think your problem is you're dumb and you need enlightenment, become a Buddhist. But if you think your problem is what the Bible says, you've done things you weren't supposed to do. You have broken the laws of God. You have sinned. You have said things you should have never said. You have had motives you should have never had. You've treated people in ways you should have never treated them. If that's your problem, then there's only one solution. That's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the only one who takes away sin. Muhammad never said he could take away your sin. Buddha never said he'd take away your sin. Christian never said he'd take away your sin. None of these guys ever made the promise. They, they, they offered different solutions. Only Jesus can take away the guilt. Only Jesus can take away the sin. Because only Jesus died upon the cross. And by the, 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 without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And only Jesus Christ has done that. Nobody else. And so you've got to figure out what you think your problem is. And be real about that. I'm serious. If you think your problem in life is you need more rules to live by, 
I think you probably ought to look more at Islam than Christianity. Because Islam, like I said, they'll tell you what you can eat, when you can eat it, what foot to walk. They'll, they'll tell you if you walk in the living room, you got to go with your right foot. But you walk in the bathroom, you enter with your left foot. If you need stuff like that, become a Muslim. And I'm not putting that down. I'm, this is what their religion will teach you. Is that what you need? A straitjacket? Laws? If you need forgiveness for your sins from Almighty God, there's only one place. That's through Jesus. Only Jesus died on the cross. Only Jesus paid for our sins. Only Jesus loves you enough to do that. Amen? So, amen. Those are five questions I get. You probably get the same ones. I tell you, whatever questions you get, always be asking, what are they really getting at? And then, when you give an answer, what's the answer that they need to understand or they need to hear? Got a lot of people that we want to reach out there, don't we? I mean, this is a really important message. This is important stuff we're talking about. It, it, it has eternal destiny related to it. I, um, I want to encourage you. I know you guys think, get to know your neighbors. And some of you will be talking to your neighbors, and some of these questions will come up. If you, if you have questions like this or other questions, I'd encourage you, if you don't know how to answer them, I encourage you a tremendous resource that I have uh, stumbled across. It's called TomThePreacher.com. Uh, oh, that's my website. Um, but on there, I have short videos five, six, seven minutes long, in which I answer the most common questions we get asked about God, about the Bible, about uh, Jesus, about other religions, about what we believe, and so on. And if you, um, uh, I encourage you to use that resource. And if there's other questions you have that aren't on there, drop me an email, because I'm always looking for new videos to make. They're very easy to do. And I know they've been a benefit to a lot of people. But uh, I'd like to encourage you to check that out. If you'd like to follow my ministry, there's uh, ways you can uh, keep in touch with me there. You can uh, get my email newsletter or, or uh, know more about what I do and pray for me. I, it's very, very important. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, we'd never turn that down. And, uh, and so as we're growing and expanding, we're always looking for people to join with us, okay? So, I thank you. I've enjoyed being here with you. It's beautiful. By the way, where's your music guy? He's teaching Sunday school. I thought when he talked about going to the place that's perfect, peace, and I thought he was going to say the Rockies, and he said the beach. But anyway, uh, uh, so anyway, I've enjoyed being, and we enjoyed being up in the Rockies yesterday. We head right after church. We head out to Kansas City, where we'll be at the University of Missouri at Kansas City this week. The following week, we'll be up in Iowa, at Iowa State, and in Des Moines, and our, my team is going to be in Dubuque, Iowa. And so I, uh, and then we head into Indiana, and then to Ohio, and then out into the East Coast. So, and then by the time it gets real cold here, we'll prove how smart we are. We'll be down in Florida. And, um, and, and, and that'll take us up to Thanksgiving. I do appreciate your prayers. I enjoy getting to know you. And uh, thank you for this chance to share with you on Sunday. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for who you are, the incredible wisdom, the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that we don't need to fear running into any intellectual or any person who has questions because there really are answers. There really are answers. 
I thank you that we can have confidence in what we believe. And Lord, I thank you that Christianity, that the relationship with you will satisfy not only our soul, not only but set, take away our guilt and give us peace, fill us with love and purpose. But I thank you can satisfy our mind. And Lord, you've given us minds, and we do think, and we do have questions. And I thank you that you give us answers. We bless you. Father, I pray for each of us in this room that we'd have a strong faith, a clear faith. I pray that each of us here, Lord, would genuinely embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Lord, it's not enough to just come here in church and enjoy the fellowship, like the donuts. You want us to come to you. And I pray today, Lord, I, I just pray even right now, if there's any here who've never done that, they've not procrastinated, they've not put it off, they've sensed the urgency of reconciling Father with you through our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, you're the one who solves the problem, and as best we can, we just embrace you, we believe in you, we trust in you to be the solution to my problem, being alienated from God. Give us courage to share this message. Give us wisdom, the right words we ask. We pray these things. We bless you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like I said, I've enjoyed being here, and God bless you. Give you a fruitful week, a joyful week. Fill you with His love and power. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for the cross that you have.